Thank you for listening to this talk produced by the Art Gallery of South Australia. Hi everyone. This is incredible. Um, I'd just like to acknowledge that we're here on Ghana country and we've had a wonderful day of talks and I'm sitting here now with my wonderful colleague, friend, fellow artist, Julie Goff. And um, Julie's going to share some stories about her work, which is the Psychoscape next door. If you haven't seen it, make your way in after we've finished talking. It is literally next door, but you have to go outside and chuck a righty <laughs> and another righty, and um, you will enter the world of the Psychoscape. Julie Goff. Thanks, Nikki. Thank you. <laughs> well. I thought it's a bit of a stretch of an afternoon to learning a lot, but um, thought I'd come back in and you'd all be gone. I'd be like, I could, I'd go. <laughs> no, I don't know. I'm like, oh, here I am. Um, so yeah, great honour to be here again on Ghana country, and excited to be with so many uh, people from many different Aboriginal nations here. And uh, that solidarity I had a chance to mention earlier is really important to recharge together I find it gets me through another year kind of thing sometimes it's a different vibe to being on your own country where it's much more there's the the family and the the sort of life day-to-day -day stuff this takes you into what's happening everywhere else with everyone else and reconnecting with that and knowing where you're overlapping so yeah psychoscape psychoscape is um so I was invited and uh, offered the chance to inhabit a room which is rare in a gallery anywhere to have a room and not a and a room that's manageable in scope and scale to be the scape in fact so five by ten meters it all became a bit abstract because I'm in Hobart I live in Nipaluna, Hobart, southern Luttrawida, Tasmania and I was um, fortunate to be working also with Gloria Streslicki who's here somewhere who basically was the manage the manage me which is you know she needs a medal and the concept of yes you do and you do so I said I kind of kept sending these random emails of what is here from from Tasmania colonial times in the collections because I always feel like they're hovering and kind of waiting to be excised or exercised in a way like sort of what what they hold the stories in in objects and how they've been collected and in these places sometimes they're aboriginal objects made by potentially my ancestors but more often than not they're in museums rather than art galleries that's a sort of interesting overlaps but here they've got colonial paintings by various artists and um, mostly of these pastoral landscapes where aboriginal people have been removed and, uh, and then they appear to those that don't kind of question them as um, kind of attractive, you know, <clears throat> successful and uh, nothing to do with anything Aboriginal ever. So they're kind of pseudo-British landscapes. So I managed to, you know, it was great to hear this, this gallery's exemplary in Australia, notable for the way that you can undertake these strange uh, activities. So... Out came a Glover artwork, John Glover, with Aboriginal people uh, depicted in 1832. One of uh, by uh, Pig Pigany, he painted a cattle by the by Ross. That's so. That's in Gallery H. Ross is a town in the centre of 
um, literally to Tasmania that's uh, the colonial hotspot Midlands, it's called, but it's the Tasmanian Midlands where there was quick eradication of our ancestors and removal replaced by cattle and sheep. And then the other one on the wall, as you walk in facing you, is a large, is a small painting, but a large video projection I've made to respond to a waterfall on the Clyde River, which is <clears throat> the south, is a whole district inhabited by a lot of Scottish immigrants. And they were very ardent and um, that they wanted and they worked on the removal of Aboriginal people rapidly through the 1820s. And they were the they presented the, uh, missionary George Augustus Robinson with a um, very special silver cup to thank him in gratitude for his work in doing that. So it's a notable silver cup that went back to England with this missionary Robinson, but then came back to Launceston and in the museum it's held to um, haunt us perpetually, really. But Bothwell is a, is a really uh, interesting and um, problematic town for me um, because one of my non-Aboriginal ancestors built a inn there as well. So there's a lot that I need to unpack in life, I reckon. But what, what's happening for me along that stretch south of Bothwell is the Clyde River, so-called, and notable massacre and infighting between the landholders and uh, up to around 1831. So the waterfall on the Clyde that's on the wall and my video projection adjacent is maybe slightly the one that you can read a little better than the one that's projected on the floor, which is about the Ross scene with the cattle on the wall. Um, but the whole room is meant to destabilise and create this psychoscape of unsettledness that what we live within, you know, we shouldn't feel all is well. And um, I think if a lot of people visit Tasmania and can feel this instinctively, that it's um, unresolved, the stories haven't been surfacing adequately and they've been actively suppressed. Uh, so I just wanted the room to provide this sensation without necessarily typing up and presenting whatever the facts are as best as we can know it, because I've been doing that for a couple of decades and I, I think it's sometimes try without the text to see if I can create that feeling rather than be too didactic. But the waterfall video, um, it breaks up into different segments. You'll see as though it's a surveillance of the waterfall on the Clyde. And um, I managed to purchase a drone recently and um, that's been exciting. And I nearly um, chopped up a family of ducks the other day. But because you can't, if you go somewhere there's friendly ducks, there's a problem because they keep chasing you around when you want to land the drone and then you're trying to land the drone away from the friendly ducks. They sort of all came out of the river towards me and I'm, anyway, they're still there at Ross if you want to find them, but they're, they're also in the footage on the floor in Gallery 8 before the, before the yeah, 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 anyway, I do, I didn't, no ducks were injured in the making of that film. But the waterfall is for me more, it was so incredibly beautiful, but also it's harrowed in its surrounded by willow trees that have been recently attempted to be removed by the current landholder. And it's also one of the works more recently where I've had to ask for permission to go through the gates to access that place. And uh, that's become, for me, more and more evident how much country Aboriginal people are locked out of across the island and the kind of 
and the kind of dance that you have to perform with landholders to gain access and the uneasiness of that and what what does that mean for them, for me, to partake of this permission process and by accepting them unlocking the gate, what am I saying, that they do have the key? And so, you know, there's a lot to think about. And my brother was speaking a few days ago to me about this, going, oh, what's with the people, us community, Aboriginal community, saying we're going on country this weekend and 99% of us are saying we're going to a national park, you know, because um, we're locked out of country, you know, it's except national parks. And then even then most of us are refusing to buy a park pass because it's our country but then there's this anxiety that we're going to have to explain ourselves and kind of perform Aboriginality to to drive through into a national park without a park pass because so everything is exhausting you know to so yeah I suppose psychoscape is more my sense of psyche being you know a bit exhausted from the there's been a a year of in, in in and out of being you know trapped at home etc to attempt for another previous work the same enactment of request for permission to access and I still haven't worked out what I've done like you know am I am I selling myself to the something you know the demonic colonists or something to achieve the art and what will the art achieve that makes up for this requesting of permission to access etc so that's the room is a bit like that. And one of the works on the wall is a live video feed to my garden so I can go in there and just feel at home if I want to. Well, um, Jack, he's the also amazing guy who set up the tech. <clears throat> he sent a man to my house to fill, uh, set up the live feed. Um, and uh, anyway, Jack's show, I've got this image because apparently while they've been it's been in there installed. My husband was climbed a ladder and cleaned the gutters but didn't explain he was doing that. So there was a whole lot of footage of my <laughs> husband. So, yeah, even the garden's interesting because I, I, I've planted lots of, like, our plants, Tasmanian plants, but I inherited all these roses when, and I, I can't really kill things. So there's another problem there where you're looking at my – I've got these nanny, sort of – grandma plants that I don't really want but I'm just hoping that they die but but that's that's what's happening in my live feed you'll see the the problematic of cohabitation and the the foliage is evidence of that and uh but there's these key rings um suspended figures of a swagman and aboriginal warrior that are 1960s key rings because I've been through this era of making kitsch artwork about what if, like I'm from the mid-60s, I'm pretty elderly now, and the um, that era of everything being kind of plasticky and new and uh, promising things and but also really for me emblematic of the what if, like what if, you know, what if I had been darker, my mum had been darker, my nan, what if, you know, by dint of certain things we are... Uh, remain together as a family, you know, all of the impacts that may have happened, others happened but those didn't. And so that was a real decade of un unpacking or learning about the 60s for me. And so those key rings are right back to that. But a cousin found them several weeks ago in a market in Evandale in Tasmania and texted me a photo and I, I suddenly went straight back to my kitsch era and said, I need the key rings, they're, they're going to be in Adelaide and they what? And I, so they're there as this sort of uh, reminder of 
where I've come from as, as in the arts in a way, but also they're suspended to resemble the other work that's in the space, the promise, which is a suspended work of cut out little figures from um, a proclamation panel work that was provided, it was um, the government commissioned these proclamation panels in 1830 Van Diemen's Land. This is a long story. I don't think I have any commas or punctuation, sorry. 1830, Governor Arthur decided, oh my God, we haven't spoken, we haven't communicated with Aboriginal people and it's going to look bad back in Whitehall. You know, we basically killed them all before we've got evidence that we tried to conciliate. So they suddenly created a, a map about the Black Line military campaign to remove us, move us south to Tasman Peninsula and exile us to Flinders Island. So the map's a year after that. 1830, they... Uh, determined to hang on trees these panels with uh, pictographic images purporting to suggest that colonists and Aboriginal people would be treated the same under justice laws, um, both executed for executing the other. So this weird panel, there's a copy of that in a collection here that's on the wall as you enter my room on the right. These uh, was an attempt to communicate. So this is another 30 years too late, Van Diemen's Land attempt to say that something had been attempted with us, our ancestors. So I've made a work, and this is a newest rendition of that, of shadows through kangaroo skin vellum on little cutout figures. So I've liberated them from the panel to say a story, you know, that's a bit different, a bit possibility, a bit of a, again, the dance, the uncertainty of it all is uh, is on the wall. So there's just these little, everything is re responding to everything else in the room. The... Um, so to the Ross cattle painting on the floor, that's spinning to make people, you know, vomit, etc. So I'm not sure. They should be. I should have made sick bags, shouldn't I? Because <laughs> editing it was not easy, that's for sure. Yeah, so with a film editor, we both had to basically lie down after a while. But so it's like spinning, spinning. So just destabilising the waterfall. The other work is two of Joseph Lysett's prints. He came to Tassie in the, um, with uh, Governor Macquarie, who's notorious for the Appen Massacre. He comes after that to Van Diemen's Land and I'm basically would think that he said, you know, kill Aboriginal people, carte blanche, it went down fine in in um, New South Wales, of which, by which Van Diemen's Land was governed till 1825. So these Lyset uh, prints are very interesting because the New South Wales series have Aboriginal people in them, but the Tasmanian ones don't. But they're full of colonists with uh, their big brown bess muskets, the, the gun of empire that's in South Africa, India, West Indies and uh, Australia, the, um, or the colonies of... Um, New South Wales, et cetera, Van Diemen's Land. So on an online auction, there was a bit of a moment of, I don't know if it's irrationality or trying to, whatever that, uh, I now am owning one of those guns that uh, was sent here, apparently um, without requiring any great uh, amount of paperwork. And it's in the gallery with the Lyset prints because two, the two guys, sure enough, are standing there with the same gun that is that is, um, I think, not to fire against any lions or elephants, but you know, there's no great game, nothing to really need such a firearm in Van Diemen's Land in the 1820s except against us. So, so they look very pleasant until you start to read, you know, think about what isn't being shown and what lies beneath. So with the Clyde Waterfall video, it, it flashes into red, the river. It's just 
that it's there, but not everyone can see that it flows with our blood. So yeah, and on some of the furniture loan from the collections here is um, amongst under the works and of also a table I've sent across that was interesting because I purchased it from a Westbury, is a small town not far from Dalaraine, where the chair in there called a Jimmy Possum chair, possibly made by an Aboriginal man who is said to have made these bush chairs in the um, late 1800s, I think. But the small table I sent over from Westbury secondhand shop uh, it was an amazing bush table, like made of bits of branches. And I said, what's that? And he said, oh, this is left over from the movie set for The Nightingale. So that's a movie uh, basically about massacre and our murders. And there it was like a year and a half ago for sale. So it, it's made its way across as well to be in, in the psychoscape. It's just so intense and so real. And you've brought it to life for us. They're stories that not everybody knows about. They're really, you know, they're, you've been mining this history, as you said, for a long time, for over 20 years. And I, I really am in awe of the way that you're able to bring this to our attention and to keep finding this information is really, you know, I, I think in lots of ways I worry for you because of the stories that, that, that you're learning and that you're constantly you know, part of, but I can see that through your creativity and your way of bringing the story to life for us is enabling you to move to that next step. And I, I could see that through the process of you developing this particular body of work. It's really powerful and it's also really important for us as an institution to understand the weight behind these works of art by colonial artists, that there's more than one side to this story. There are many sides to these stories. Nothing is black and white. It's all very grey. And that we can't just take things on face value, that we need to consider all people involved. Where And, and think about where these works are created, what part of the country, whose country is that? And just start to ask those questions, which is what you're doing and you're unpacking. And I think for me also knowing that you grew up in St Kilda and Luna Park was just there. Yeah. And so do you want to tell us a little bit about how, yeah. That yeah, so, so yeah, I grew up, I was born in Melbourne. So I think that my investigative spirit is, is due to having grown up off off out of Lithuania, off-country, and having to find my way home is taking a long time and that's just, I'm just basing it as I, do, as, as I go and not to presume what belonging might be or how it looks it's, and just what I can assist in given my kind of, um, yeah, uh, it's an unexpected childhood. Yeah, Luna Park, so basically, yes, I've said this before, haven't I? I Basically, I grew up with people screaming all the time, but they were having fun. And that's just so I think I am a bit that is this. I suppose I'm carrying psychoscape since childhood in a way. <laughs> so, stuff like that, you know, that was I could hear it from the flats I lived in screaming, you know, and that's and so just I don't take any, I don't really understand what is normal, and that's probably fine for, for being an artist. It's quite handy that I'm an artist, really. Yeah, so just. 
don't you just question everything and yeah screaming people might be happy is one of those <laughs> things yeah my dad had a, my parents had a milk bar in Ackland Street that was my grandparents and my dad's a Scottish I think I said earlier he came when he was 12 from Scotland and um so I was in the milk bar in a high chair as a kid and uh, people kept putting money in the jukebox to hear me sing, which um, yeah, I wouldn't inflict on any of you now. But that's – apparently there was a lot of Beach Boys I could sing, but only one song was – the one I sang mostly was Ba, 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 Ren, but just – but all I would do is go Ba, Ba the whole way through the whole song. Ba, ba, but, um, I haven't told you that, have I? No. Yeah. Pretty sad. Oh, you're a born performer, Julie Goff. <laughs> oh, yeah, honestly, you just the way that you tell your stories and you have such a great sense of humour and, you know, we all really appreciate that and the way that you're so openly honest with us and telling these stories. Um, yeah, and I think this is an incredible installation. It's really interesting to see this body of work. Um, Lisa and I came down to Tassie and saw Tents Past, your survey exhibition, and um, Rana was with us as well. And that was such an incredible body of work. It was so overwhelming, just that the stories. Well, I didn't mention next door. Oh, the chair's capturing me. Oh, oh my God. Um, I, next, next door I've loaned uh, or brought out from your collections uh, Black Peg of Van Diemen's Land and the, the gallery here graciously loaned that to Tense Pass to come home. She was a, a child of, um, I, I think, being not very well understood who she might be. So as you enter the gallery on the left, you've got this anonymous Aboriginal child caricature portrait and this is the kind of the traces of the old people that we have are often really cryptic and also um, disrespectful in the way they're portrayed really in in that extreme caricature. So, yeah, she was in my exhibition and part of the big story that I'm following is how many children were taken by colonists and um, what happened to them. And there's like le there's less than 20 I can – it was about 20 I can find what happened and then there's about 150 have evaporated into – but one of those children was my ancestor who lived with two colonists near Longford in the north before it was Longford in um, Norfolk Plains in northern Lutterwitter. And so this but black peg for me is emblematic of all of them, including my ancestor. And my ancestor survived being shot uh, on the South Est River, which is in one of the licenses of the South Rest River. So, you know, if people question why, you know, why should you have that gun? Well, I took that, that, I have that gun back. You know, that's the gun that shot my ancestor who survived, you know. And, uh, yeah, it's one thing to make spears. I do that and my brother, we make spears. But, yeah, I just wanted – these are kind of evidential objects and they need to be placed with these, um, you know, happy, happy pastoral landscapes and a bit more work to be done. It's interesting in the galleries and the museums how – we're working through the segregation of curators and departments and all the institutions are trying to come figure out ways that difficult stories or whatever they are can work across and between cultures and um, these jurisdictions that have come from Europe are problematic. And so uh, Tasmania still has a kind of the art department and I'm in the First Peoples Department. 
we're very busy with endless inquiries from particularly non-Aboriginal people about Aboriginal culture and we're kind of beset with that. It's another issue, isn't it, really, how to be kind of worn down with interested inquiries going, well, but how can I be most effective? But the art department is, 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 is um, having to manage a massive colonial art collection and they haven't got to a point to work with Aboriginal people yet to... Uh, tackle what I'm attempting next door here, you know, but these, every contemporary art artist can, we, we make, we push, we push it, don't we? We push it towards where it needs to go. That's kind of art has that space that perhaps in the institutions there's less time and so we, I think it's interesting being both because I can see you, you have a bit more almost power as an artist to say this is where it should be um, rather than um, in my day-to-day role where it's, Admin, yeah. Thank you very much, Julie. Please congratulate Julie.